Chapter 1 and verse 3 tells us that this was a church that was experiencing great spiritual growth. It says in 1-3, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. What a great testimony for a church. They're spiritually growing. They're walking in love one toward another. But also, if you continue reading verses 4, 5, and 6, you'll learn that this is a church that's also not not a church just that's spiritually growing, but it's also suffering from both persecution from without, pressure from within. Persecution from without was coming from those pagans who did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And pressure from within from members who had embraced false doctrine and not just embraced it, they were propagating it within the church. So Paul is addressing this church for a few reasons. First of all, he seeks to encourage them to persevere in the face of their trials. And then he also addresses their concerns about the second coming because those false teachers in the church were saying that they had missed the rapture, that the day of the Lord had come and gone, and they had, they had missed it. Paul wrote to them about the rapture in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, but to correct this false teaching that was going around that had already taken place, you can read, well, the first half of chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, Paul writes about the second coming and he's trying to correct the error that's going on. So he wrote to encourage them. He wrote to address these concerns about false teaching. And then the last thing he did, he wrote to them this second letter to challenge them to address those members that were not obediently following the Lord's commands. It's a rich book. This chapter is not as long, or this book rather is not as long as the first letter he wrote to Thessalonica. But it is a rich book. He covers some vitally important topics. So he's writing this this Thessalonian church. I'm speaking today on this topic that the Lord is faithful. And this was a church that was in crisis. And the true believers in Thessalonica needed a solid word of encouragement from Paul. They are facing persecution. We don't really struggle with that in America. Now, they do in other parts of the world. You know that. But we do deal with the pressure from within. We deal with false teaching in our country. Uh, We deal with uh, not just mistakes, but intentional misleadings of those who would take and pervert the word of God. So this letter is good for us today, and we're really going to focus just on one verse, but I'd like to read the first five verses of chapter 3. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, somebody somebody pointed this out recently, just so you know, on Paul's writings. When he says finally, he really doesn't mean it. He's still going to write one-third of the book after he says finally. He writes a whole other chapter. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ." I've taken 
our title this morning and also the focus of this message from verse number three. But the Lord is faithful. Those four words, the Lord is faithful, full of peace, full of promise, full of encouragement, full of hope. Regardless of what they were going through, Paul comes back and he says, but the Lord is faithful. This world in which you and I live is ramping up for the return of its creator. He's coming and he's coming soon. When he comes, it's going to be terrible. It is getting worse and worse all the time. And I, as I listen to the news reports, and you do as well, and, and you hear what has happened over in Israel these last two weeks, you're thinking to yourself, how much, how much worse does it get? Those of you with gray hair in here, you've been asking yourself that for 20 and 30 and 40 years. How much worse can it get? And then, and then we realize the depravity of man, which shows how much worse it can get. Paul said in two different places. One, he said it's perilous times are coming in the last days. They're here. And he said it would wax worse and worse. It would continue to progress in its wickedness, and it is. So I think the world is ramping up for its creator to return, and that being the case... We need to be looking for him. But as, he, as we get closer to his return, it's going to get worse and worse. So I hope to use this text of scripture today, verse number three, and really just the first four or five words of it. I hope to use it to encourage you. As we watch things uh, decline in this world, I want to be an encouragement to you. And I want you to be encouraged that the days in which you and I live, although they're dark days... They are days of hope for the believer. So let's look at this passage of scripture today. We've prayed and asked God to bless his word and bless the preaching today. So let's jump right into this. And we're going to talk about the faithfulness of the Lord. But the Lord is faithful, it says in verse number three. And I'd like to direct your your attention to three areas in which he's faithful. Not just to the Thessalonian church, but to Faith Baptist Church in the 21st century to believers who might be the generation in which Jesus Christ, I believe most likely will be the generation that will see the return of Jesus Christ. Let's look at this. First, I'd like you to know this, that this faithful Lord, he is faithful in his person. He's faithful in his person. It says, the Lord is faithful. That little four-word phrase implies that faithfulness is synonymous with the very character of God himself. He is faithful. You could say he embodies faithfulness. Faithfulness is is synonymous with his character. character. Faithful is who God is. It's how he reflects himself. In fact, that can be said of every one of God's attributes, and it's repeatedly shown in Scripture that his attributes are part of his very essence. He is who he is in this matter of faithfulness. The Lord is faithful. Now, we know that's not all he is. We have today, and we're not going to turn to them, but my my hope is to overwhelm you with Scripture today in reminding you that you have a faithful God, regardless of the circumstance you're going through or the world goes through, God's faithful. So let's begin, let's begin this, uh, this flood of Scripture, all right? I'm going to go quick. If you want to write them down, we don't have time to turn to all of them. God's attributes, 
part of his very essence, who he is. Deuteronomy 4.3, for the Lord thy God is a merciful God. 2 Chronicles 30, verse 9, For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn his, away his face from you if you return unto him. Job, chapter 36, verse 5, Behold, God is mighty and despiseth not any. He is mighty in strength and wisdom. Psalm 47 and verse 7, For God is the king of all the earth. Psalm 68 and verse 20, He that is our God is the God of salvation. Psalm 99, verse 9, for the Lord our God is holy. Psalm 116, verse 5, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. Nahum 1, 7, the Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble and he knoweth them that trust in him. 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 5, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light And in him is no darkness at all. God is all of these things. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is good. He is strong. He's the God of salvation. He is light, this says. And our verse in 2 Corinthians 3.3 says that the Lord is faithful. It's who he is. Faithful in the Old Testament has this definition of being firm or steadfast or steady. When, when the word faithfulness is usually used in the Old Testament, that's what it means, steadiness, stability. In the New Testament, that word is almost always applied to people or to God himself. In the New Testament, that refers to being trustworthy in transacting business, executing all of his commands and discharging all of his, all of his duties. I want you to think of that definition in light of this phrase, the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful in transacting his business with you and me. The Lord is faithful in executing his commands. The Lord is faithful in discharging all of his duties. Old Testament or New Testament, we read that God is faithful. He's faithful to us in all things. Now, if you, were, you and I were to turn to Malachi 3.6 or Hebrews 13.8 or James 1.17, we could take those three verses and put them together and we would get this message. God never changes. He never changes. So if God was faithful in the Old Testament, then he's going to be faithful in the New Testament. The one who, remained, or the one who was faithful to Israel is faithful to his church. He doesn't change. In fact, that's the very definition of being faithful. He is always everything the Bible says he is. May I say that again? God is always everything the Bible says he is. He is faithful. I am the Lord, he said. I change not. If he was faithful, that means that today he is faithful. Who he was yesterday, he is today, he will be tomorrow. The Lord is faithful. I want you to see that first of all, he's faithful in his person. That's just who he is. God is 
faithful. The second thing, not only is he faithful in his person, he's faithful in his promises. His promises. I don't know how many promises there are in the Bible. I know there are promises to individuals. There are promises to nations. There's promises to the church. There's promises to the world as a whole. I don't know how many promises are in the scripture, but because the Lord is faithful, he stands by his word. And and Paul reminds these Thessalonians of that when he says in verse number 3 that he's going to establish you and he's going to keep you from evil. That word establish means to make stable, to set one fast. He's going to strengthen them in their life, strengthen them in their mind. He's faithful to do that. But then it also says that he's going to, you see that, going to keep them from evil. You know that word keep means to guard or to protect. We're told back in, in uh, Proverbs chapter 4 to keep your heart with all diligence. That means that you are responsible to put a guard, a sentry at your heart and be careful what you left, let in. You're the guard. Keep thy heart with all diligence. But here, the faithful Lord is the one that's on guard. Not you. It's him. He is faithful, it says in verse number 3, who shall establish you and keep you or protect you from all evil. He promises to be our, our protector when the enemy attacks. He promises this. He is faithful in his person and he's faithful in his promises. Because the Lord is faithful, he can be trusted to do what he says he's going to do. Did you know he is repeatedly on record in the scriptures telling you that he's going to be faithful in his promises? All through the Bible, he promises to keep his word. Let's let's run through some of those verses. Psalm 138 and verse 2. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. He's going to keep his word. He thinks a lot of his name. That's why he punished David. We talked about that we talked about that on Wednesday night. Remember that? He punished David in his sin with Bathsheba not for murder and adultery. He punished them because he had given he had given the enemies of the Lord the occasion to blaspheme the name of God. If he holds his name in that high regard, how much better is it that he says this, thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, for all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen, that means so be it, it's done, unto the glory of God by us. Romans chapter 4 and verse number 21. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. God is not like us humans. I have promised things before and been unable to keep that promise. Have you, have you been guilty of that? Not intentionally. I didn't set out when I made a promise to someone. I didn't set out knowing in my mind, well, I'm going to say this, but I'm not going to do it. But there have been times I have promised to do things and then it just became... Impossible for me to keep that promise. Do you know God has never had that? He has never had that struggle. Not even, not even one time. He's not like that at all. What the Lord says he will do is as good as done because it is impossible for him to lie. Intentionally or unintentionally, it is impossible for God to lie. Would you think about that word impossible? 
That is something God cannot do. In all of his omnipotence, he cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. The scripture says in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? He's always going to make it good. He's always going to do it. Hebrews 6, verses 17 and 18 says this, Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. You and I are the ones who fled to him for hope. We were in a mess spiritually, condemned, unable to help ourselves. We fled to him for refuge And it's impossible for God to lie. What is is Paul's point there in Hebrews chapter 6? What is his point? He's saying if you've come to him for refuge, you've come to the right place because he can't lie. He said he'll save. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you come, you'll find refuge. He can't lie. It is impossible for him to lie. The Lord is not only faithful in his person, he's faithful in his promises. If he said it in his word, you can take that to the bank. It is, it, is, it is done. It is done. I like what John Phillips said about the book of Revelation. He said the book of Revelation and all biblical prophecy is pre-written history. That's a, wonderful, that's a wonderful perspective on that. Why can he so confidently say that biblical prophecy is pre-written history? Because the Lord is faithful in his promises. He's not going to change. He's immutable. I am the Lord, I change not. So if he promised to do it and he can't lie, then he has to do it. Regardless of the realm of life, our God, our faithful God, can be trusted to stand by his promises. So what are the things that we can bank on? What are the things that we can count on then if he's promised and it's going to come to pass? What what does that look like? Well, it looks like this. He will save you if you'll come to him. He will save you if you come to him. Romans 10, 13 says that. Acts 16, 31, when, when uh, Paul was asked, Sirs, what, what, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, call upon the name of the Lord. Thou shalt be saved in thy house. His faithfulness to his promise says, if you come to him and call on him to save him, he will do that. Another one, he will hear you if you call on him. I love Jeremiah 33, Three, and I know that was written to the nation of Israel, but it's a promise that you and I have as well. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. We took that little phrase, great and mighty things. Remember that? We had that as one of our global focus themes a few years ago. Great and mighty things. He will hear you if you call on him. He will meet your daily needs. We don't have time to turn there, but you could write down Matthew Chapter 6 starts around verse 25 or 26, and then it goes to the end of the chapter. But that's that fantastic passage of Scripture that talks about, look, if God's going to feed sparrows and if he's going to take care of little flowers in the field, you can count on the fact he's going to meet your needs. You don't have to worry about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat or where you're going to sleep. God will meet those needs. 
It's because he's faithful to his promises. My God shall supply all your needs, the scripture says. He will give you grace sufficient for every trial. You ought not to pray for God's grace to be sufficient. You ought to pray for those in trial will appropriate the grace that is sufficient. God's grace is always sufficient. Write down, if you'd like to, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. That's where you remember that passage of Scripture where Paul was trying to get rid of that thorn in his side. And God finally says, look, it's not going to go away, but my grace is going to be sufficient for you. The grace you need for your trial, it is sufficient. It's a matter of you and I appropriating that grace and saying, God, I trust you with this. This trial is not where I would have put my family. This trial is not where I would have put myself. But God, I trust you with it because you're faithful in your promises and you said you'd meet our need. Whatever that need might be. He will give you peace in every circumstance of life. That's another promise of God. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. That is that passage of scripture that has that phrase in there, peace that passeth all understanding. That That's a great phrase. That's for the believer, by the way. That peace is not promised to an unsaved person. That's only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's a promise. He'll give you peace that passes understanding. He will also be present with you. Hebrews 13, 5, Matthew 28, and verse 20. He'll be present. Lo, I am with you always, he said, even to the end of the world. Never leave nor forsake. (coughs) Excuse me. And finally, he'll take you to heaven when this life is over. That's a promise you can count on. Aren't you thankful for that? I, when I think of heaven, every, every time I think of heaven, I think of that dumb book, Your Best Life Now. It just, it grates all over me. I, I can't help. Man, if this was the best, if this was the best we had looked forward to, I go back to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, that we are of all men most miserable. He promises to take us to heaven when this life is over. John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40, and then again in verse number 44. Because the Lord is faithful, he's going to keep every promise that he's made to you. Now, don't claim the promises that belong to the Jews. There are promises in the Old Testament that belong to the nation of Israel. That wasn't for you, and that wasn't for me. That was for the nation. But if he's made a promise to you as an individual or to us as a church, we can count on it. His word is as good as done because it is impossible for him to lie. He will keep every promise. You say, well, Pastor, I'm in a, I'm in a situation where I don't know, I sure don't feel like he's keeping his promises to me. Next week, we have a missionary coming who's not been here for about five years. Andy and Mimi Bonikowski are visiting with us next Sunday. We've had a lot of missionaries come into our church, um, and I like that. I like, I like the, keeping it before us that we have a responsibility to the world to get the gospel out. But five years ago, Andy stood in his pulpit, and he preached a message, and in that message, he said something like this. I'm not quoting him verbatim, but I have fallen back on this so many times, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. He said, God is always at work, even when it appears that he's not. I'm telling you that regardless of the trial that you are in and the warfare you might be struggling with and the the valley 
Maybe it's a long valley for you. I'm telling you that God is faithful in his promises. Even when it seems like he's not at work, he's still working. Now, Andy better keep, he better keep good notes because if he comes back and preaches that message next week, we're going to say, hey, we heard that one. <laughs> but, you know, of all the missionaries that we've had, that's one of the, that's one of the messages that stuck out to me. And it's because I have to remind myself of that so often. God is always at work, even when it appears that he's not. He's working in your life. He's working in your marriage. He's working in your home. He's working in our church. And even though it may not look like it, he is absolutely at work in this world. And he's developing a plan that's right according to his calendar and not mine, not yours. He is at work, though. God is faithful. The Lord is faithful. He's faithful in his person. It's who he is. He cannot help but be faithful. I've talked with uh, some of these pastors have called that are, that are talking to Daniel right now, that are interested in, in or some, not pastors, but these uh, pulpit committee guys, have, they've called our, our associate pastor, and uh, they, he's put me down as a reference, and uh, they'll ask me some things about Daniel. And one thing that I've told, I think every one of them, I said, I don't use this word very often, but it describes Daniel, and I, and I said, I don't think he can help it at times. I said, but he is a jolly person. I said, that, that's just, and at times, I don't think he can help it. He just, it's who Daniel is. God can't help but be faithful to you, Christian. He can't help it. It's who he is. His faithfulness is going to come out. It's in his person. And he's faithful in his promises. And the last thing I want you to see is he's faithful in his performance. He's faithful in his performance. I don't know. You know, this, these two books, actually, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, both of them are full of promises to the Thessalonian church. Remember, it's a church that's not only growing spiritually, but it's enduring some persecution, and it's going through some tribulation. And so God makes promises to them. And I don't know how the Lord honored those promises to that church, but I am absolutely confident that he did. You know why? Because as sure as he is love, and he is light, and he is merciful, and he is gracious, he is also faithful. The Lord is faithful. Faithful is he who has promised and he will do it, Paul said. Note how God's word says it describes the faithfulness of the Lord. There are several things here. First of all, his, his faithfulness is unlimited. It's unlimited. This is Psalms 30, Psalm chapter 36 and verse 5. Thy faithfulness reacheth into the clouds. That was the psalmist's poetic way of saying it goes on and on and on. The clouds were unattainable to the psalmist. Now you and I, we hop on a 737 or 767 a day, and next thing you know, we're flying above the clouds. But to the psalmist, for him to say that God's faithfulness is higher than the clouds... He's saying it's without, without bounds. His faithfulness is also unfailing. Unfailing. Psalm chapter 89 and verse 33. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. 
God's always faithful. His faithfulness is unfailing. His faithfulness is abounding. There's a lot of it. You know that verse that says, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. That's true of God's faithfulness as well. Lamentation chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, it says, and you've heard this, we sang this hymn this morning. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. His faithfulness helps his people. This is a common verse. It's well known. You may have committed it already to memory. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. That there's, there's no temptation. There's no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. The next phrase is, but God is faithful. God helps his people. When we're suffering under, into temptation, whether that's a temptation to sin or it's a trial that we're enduring, God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. He helps his people. God's faithfulness helps his people. His faithfulness secures those that he saves. Boy, this was good news for the Thessalonians. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. He is faithful in his performance. His faithfulness secures those that he saves. His faithfulness makes him a perfect high priest. A perfect high priest. We talked last year. We did a Wednesday night series. You remember that? On the high priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. His faithfulness makes him a perfect high priest. In Hebrews 2.17 it says that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God. He's faithful in it. He's our our mediator. He's our go-between. His faithfulness gives confidence to all believers. Why can you and I go through a world that is so upside down these days? The mess going on in Washington, they're trying to figure out who the speaker's going to be, and things are held up until they get that figured out. Then Russia and Ukraine and Israel and Hamas and now Hezbollah and maybe Iran... All of these things. The world is so upside down. How in the world does a Christian go through a world like that confident that God is in control? It's because he's faithful in his performance. My confidence is not in Washington. My confidence is not in a politician. It's not in a theologian. My my confidence is not in some super businessman. My confidence is not in anyone who can negotiate peace. My confidence is in the Lord. Why? Because he's faithful. He's faithful in his performance. The Bible says in Hebrews 10.23, that it, Paul says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. I have a profession of faith. I'm professing to you this morning that I am a child of God. I know the Lord Jesus Christ is my personal Savior. Paul says, I am to hold fast to that profession without wavering. Do you know why he says to do that? It's the second part of that verse. For he is faithful that promised. The reason I hold fast to my profession, that I am a son of God, that my sins have been forgiven, that I am going to heaven when I die... Why am I confident in that? It's not because of who I am. It's because of who he is. 
He is faithful that promised. Finally, his faithfulness guarantees our forgiveness. Do you know 1 John 1, 9? Do you know that verse? If we confess our sins, you can say it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, the first thing you need to know is he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He's faithful in his performance. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. His promises are sure. He's faithful in his person. He's faithful in his in his promises, and he is faithful in his performance. His faithfulness guarantees our forgiveness. What do all those things mean for us? That his faithfulness does this and this and this. What do all of those things mean for you and me? So God is faithful. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for, for me? Well, it means this, that family may fail you, but the Lord is faithful. John 9, verses uh, 1 and following. I, I like John 9. John 9 is that story of that blind man that Jesus healed. You remember the story um, that he heals this blind man, and then the religious leaders call, they call this blind man to them and say, Hey, who's this, who's this that did this? And they start grilling him. Do you remember the, the story? You remember that now? There's that one part in that story where they're grilling this blind guy about who, about who healed him. And who is, who, how did he do that? On what authority did he act? And they're gr- Finally, he says, look, I don't know all the answers to your questions. I just know that I was blind, and now I see. I know that's different. So then they turn to, you remember this part? They turn to the guy's parents. And then they start grilling them. And you know what they did? They threw him under the bus. Your family can fail you. God doesn't. This is that guy's mom and dad. This is the mom and dad that raised him from the time he was a blind baby. They threw him under the bus. Your family may fail you. God won't. He's faithful. Your friends might fail you. But the Lord is faithful. Do you remember back in the Old Testament? David had a very trusted, wise counselor. His name was Ahithophel. But when Ahithophel saw all of David's moral struggling, and then he saw this, this Prince Absalom rising, Ahithophel hitched his star, or hitched his wagon to Absalom's star. And he's like, now I'm, I think I'm going to go with him. Ahithophel was a very dear friend. Of David's. In fact, David mourns that friend's loss when he goes and chases after Absalom. Think of Jesus and Peter, good friends. But Peter began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man. Your friends may fail you, but the Lord is faithful. Family will fail, friends will fail, funds will fail. We can all relate to that one. Maybe you've not had. Family run out or friends run out, but we can all relate to funds failing. But God's faithful. Sometimes he treats us uh, like he did the widow of Zarephath. He gives us enough for each day. We may not have $100,000 saved up in the bank, but we're not starving. 
and the tires on the car are good, and there's at least half a tank of gas in it. Sometimes he, he just sustains us like he does the widow of Zarephath. It's because he's faithful. Family will fail. Friends will fail. Your money may fail. The Lord is faithful. You know what else will fail? Sometimes your faith. Not the faith you put in him to be saved. You're always going to be saved. You can't get out of that. You were born again. You're in the family. But sometimes our faith in him and our ability to trust him weakens, doesn't it? Do you remember Jesus? uh, Jesus tells his disciples, let's get in this boat. We're going to go to the other side of the lake. So he gets in. He gets in and goes to sleep. I love the fact that the Bible is careful to point out the fact that Jesus was laying on a pillow. He had every intention of going to sleep on that boat knowing that storm was coming. But he wasn't worried at all about it. The disciples come to him and say, Master, you don't care that we perish. Do you remember what Jesus said? He rebuked them saying, O ye of little faith. Sometimes our faith in, in the middle of the storm, our faith may fail. But he's not going to. That boat, you, and I, you know that story well. There was no way that boat was going down. There was just no way that boat was going down. Jesus' time had not yet come. He wasn't heading to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. He was heading to the cross at Calvary. That boat was not going to sink. Those disciples were scared to death. Jesus said, O ye of little faith, and he turns around, the Bible says he rebuked the wind and the waves with two words, or three words, peace, be still. Peace, the wind stopped, be still, the water was instantly calm. But their faith in the middle of the storm. Sometimes our faith fails, but the Lord is faithful. He is faithful in his person. He's faithful in his promises. He's faithful in his performance. He will do it. There was a man named Richard Sims. Richard Sims uh, had just gotten discharged from the Army. He couldn't wait to take that uniform off for the last time, but he was in uniform when he was hitchhiking to go home. He was in Illinois, and he was hitchhiking on the side of the road, lugging along this heavy suitcase. And uh, every time a car go by, he put his thumb up. He's hitchhiking a ride home. <clears throat> this was back in the day when people hitchhiked, and you'd have to worry about them getting, you know, disappearing. And Sims, uh, Sims heard a car approaching at his back, and he's going this way, lugging his suitcase. So international sign for I need a ride. He puts his thumb out, and he turns around. He turns his turn around to see a a fairly new Cadillac sedan and he's like I doubt this guy's going to pick me up he just dropped his hand and to his surprise the car pulled over to the side of the road front passenger door popped open well that soldier ran up there and he threw his bag in the back of the seat he jumped in there's a well-dressed businessman driving the car and uh, he said soldier where are you heading and he told him where he was going he said well I'm going to Chicago the driver said I'm going to Chicago Turns out his name was Hanover. And uh, Mr. Hanover said, well, I'm going to Chicago. And, and Roger said, well, I'm not going that far. So they chit-chatted for a little bit while they did. And, and Roger Sims was a Christian. And the further they drove, the more impressed he was by the Holy Spirit to ask Mr. Hanover about his eternal well-being. Is he saved or not? And he struggled with that, and he's just struggled with it. And finally, he, he's, he starts questioning. He said, Mr. Hanover, he said, uh, he said, I'm a Christian. He said, I, I want to ask you a question. He said, have you ever had your sins forgiven? Have you ever been saved? 
by Jesus Christ. And that man immediately pulled the car over, and, and Roger thought to himself, I'm about to get the boot out of this car. And um, Mr. Hanover said, no, I haven't. He said, but I've thought a long time. That's what I need to do. And he said, would you, would you pray with me today? Is sitting in that car on the side of the road, on the side of the highway, on their way to Chicago, uh, Roger Sims, this soldier who'd just been discharged from the Army, led this guy to Christ that he just met. Perfect stranger. Didn't know who he was. They got back on the road, completed their journey together. Mr. Hanover dropped Roger Sims off the side of the road and went on his way. Years passed. Roger Sims got married, had a son, started his own business. About five years after that, about five years after that, he had to go to Chicago on business. So he pulls out his suitcase, opens it up to start packing, and there's a and there's a little white business card in there. It says Hanover Industries. He'd forgotten all about that. He thought, man, if I go if I go to Chicago, I'm gonna look up Hanover Industries and see if uh, see if I can reconnect with him. So he went to Chicago, took care of his business, and found the address for Hanover uh, Hanover Industries, and he went there and asked the receptionist, can I see Mr. Hanover? And she said, well, it's going to be impossible, but his wife's here. You can see her. Okay. So he gets, he gets ushered into this really nice office, and there's a keenly dressed lady, uh, probably late 50s or so, and she introduces herself, and um, he tells, he says, well, he said, I, you know, I, I hitched a ride with your husband five years ago, and, um, and he said, uh, I would... I just thought I'd stop in and see him. And she said, so that's how you know my husband. Yeah, he picked me up on the side of the road. And, and then the Holy Spirit started impressing him again. Tell her what happened on that day. She needs to know what happened on that day. So he says, in addition to that, Mrs. Hanover, he said, uh, he said I, I'm a Christian. And I asked your husband if he was a Christian. And, and uh, he said no. And he said, we pulled over the side of the road. And he prayed to, to be saved. And she was... Uh, she was visibly shaken by that. And she started crying, and then she started sobbing. And she said, can you tell me what day that was? And he said, yeah, I can. He said, it was five years ago this year. It was May the 7th. It was the day I was discharged from the Army. He said, I'll never forget that day. She said, nor will I. She said, because after he dropped you off and before he got home, he was killed in a car accident and he said, all these years I had been praying for my husband to be saved, and I thought he died unsaved. She said this, I thought God was not faithful to me in answering my prayer. I don't know what you're praying for, and I don't know what your particular experience is in this life perhaps, but I do know this, the Lord is faithful. He hears the prayers of his children. Don't quit praying. Don't quit trusting him. The Lord is faithful. He's faithful because of who he is. It is his very nature not to change, but to be faithful. It is in his word that he is faithful. His promises are going to come to pass. And he is going to perform what he said he will do. He's faithful in his person. He's faithful in his promises. He's faithful in his performance. And that's the God that you and I pray to every day. That's the God you're trusting for your eternal destiny. And if you're not, that's the God you can trust with your eternal destiny. 
He's faithful. He will, obey, he, he will follow through on his word. Call on me and I'll answer you. I'll show you great and mighty things that you know not. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It, it just doesn't change. That's, that's an immutable promise. If you come to Christ, he who the Father sends, I will in no wise cast out. How many different ways can God say it? The Lord is faithful. So your trial today, you can trust God with it. He's at work. He's doing it for for his glory, yes, but he's also benefiting you in this trial. You're wondering whether or not you're going to heaven. You can trust God. You can trust him. You know why? Because the Lord is faithful. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. If you don't know if you're saved, God will answer that question for you. Every one of us are born sinners and in need of a Savior. If you've never been saved, I can answer one question for you. Your question might be, I don't, do I need to be saved? If you've never been saved, then the answer is yes. Christian, you can trust him with everything. The Lord's faithful on every front. You can trust him. This world you and I living in is topsy-turvy. Don't watch so much news that you start to get scared. I have, in the last two weeks, taken more phone calls regarding this event over in Israel. It's amazing. People not associated with our church, I know, through the police departments. And they're calling me. A guy I did a funeral for a year and a half ago. Pastor, do you think this is World War III? I, I don't know. How can I possibly know that? But I know this, the Lord's faithful. I don't care what happens in this world. It's going to happen according to a script that God has already written out, and it's going to happen according to his schedule. I'm just going to do my best to cooperate with it. Now, here and there, you and I may bite a nail or two, but we can always fall back on the fact that God's faithful. This is who he is. It's what he does. I want to encourage you today that God's faithful. And whatever your, whatever your fear is, whatever your, uh, whatever your struggle is, whatever is attacking your faith, fall back on this. My faith may waver. His faithfulness never does. I often pray when I'm, when I'm praying with, with someone or by myself, I will often pray, God, help me to be faithful to you like you are to me. Because he's always faithful. The Lord's faithful, church. Whatever your need might be this morning, we're going to give you an opportunity to come to this altar in just a few moments. Now, you may want to pray with somebody. If you'd like to pray with somebody, we'll make that happen. If you'd like to pray by yourself, come pray by yourself. But if there's anybody in this world who's not afraid today, who's not worried today, it ought to be the Bible-believing Christian. We We ought to be without fear in this world today. Because God's faithful, and he's going to do what he said he's going to do. Would you stand, please, with your heads bowed? Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for being the faithful God that you are. We are fully confident that you're going to do what you said you're going to do. And Lord, I can't know the need of all these people here, but you do. You know the end from the beginning, and you know every person between those two bookends. 
and you know every need that is here. Some of these folks might need to be saved this morning. They don't know you as Savior. They go to church. They're good people, but they're not saved. And Lord, I I pray that if someone is here wondering whether or not they're going to heaven when they die, I pray they'd come and get that settled this morning. I pray for those that might be nervous and, and worried, Lord, about what's going on. Would you remind us of your faithfulness, your immutability? Lord, you haven't changed. If you were faithful back then, you're faithful today. And I pray that you would settle our hearts and help us to be messengers of hope. Even like we talked in the teen class today about being ambassadors for Christ. Uh, Lord, that's, that's where we should be living in these days especially. Help us to point people to our Father. and Help us to point people to Christ. And Lord, I pray that in the hearts of every person here today, you do your perfect work. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Would you hold your heads bowed for